So I was one of the people that I was one of the last of the plank owners to like cycle off that ship. So I got to experience like that crew, that, that camaraderie and that closeness. And then like slowly replacements started coming in as people cycled out to go, to go to other commands or get out of the Navy or whatever. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. I I do... I genuinely, this is something I, I look for. I, I say in the intro that I don't censor the show at all, largely because if somebody's coming to listen to hear what it's like to be in the military, and then yeah. is like, oh, they swore. It's like, yep, yeah, <laughs> they did. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you, you think you want to send your kid there, or you're a kid and you want to go there, you know? Yeah, that that's what happens, you know. So yeah, yeah. I honestly, I just know that you were in the Navy. So aside from that, this is going to be a. An experience for me too. Oh yeah. <laughs> what branch were you in? I, I was not at all. For some reason, oh, no? people seem to think that I was. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I I do. I give those. What makes you think that? Like, because I don't want to be like, uh, be like, oh, stolen valor. Or he's no, no. It's uh, Get no the impression. Usually, like, um, you know, a- after you get out of of any branch, um, and you you kind of have this realization this kind of disjointed realization that you know man like things really were fucked up um you kind of have to take like a uh, self-assessment and uh oh sure you know like one of the one of the ways that i did that and that a lot of people do that is just by talking to other vets be like hey man like am i being a pussy or am i crazy or like am i alone in thinking this and the answer is usually no right right and um so like when so when I'm looking at like your list of questions, I'm like, oh, he's probably doing that same thing that I did. Right. Yeah. He, he, he just hasn't accepted the fact that like, you know, may, like there is no answer. Like you just you did what you did. And like, you know, th- there's there's no rhyme or reason to it. Right. Yeah. That I wrote those based off of what just what I've heard vets talk about. You know, yeah. and, and also just, and then also from a civilian viewpoint of like, just what is it like, you know, what, what, uh, yeah, try to get a, a look into that. Yeah, no, it's no, that's even no. better. Um, cause it's, you know, there's, I, I, I don't feel like I have to like, remember all the fucking lingo cause it's, I've purged a lot from my brain. Right. Right. Cause yeah, I've heard a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So like. <laughs> You know, it's it it does make it a uh, a more natural flow, I guess. It, it allows for a more natural flow of conversation when I'm talking to a civilian versus right. somebody that was in and like it was, you know, their entire identity. Right, right. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So let's jump right well, in. Yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, today we've got Aaron, a uh, a former member of the Navy. And now an N-word respecter. <laughs> the other N-word that I don't like. 
I should say, oh. I, I swapped. I swapped n words. <laughs> and and the listener account dropped by half. <laughs> yeah. So um, I I was in the Navy from uh, two thousand. Yeah. I, I joined in two thousand ten, and I got out in twenty nineteen. So a few years ago, um, I was a uh, sonar technician, and uh, on the surface side. So I wasn't in mm. submarines. My job was to kind of hunt subs and classify them and localize them. And, uh, you know, if, right. if it ever came down to it, destroy them. <laughs> so um, I know a lot about like combat systems and uh, weapon systems and um, <laughs> the bureaucracy and a little bit right. of uh, operations and intelligence and all that stuff, like uh, order a battle around the world as far as like what countries have what what models and all that. Um, oh yeah okay so like you're basically a, a walking james jane's ships of the world yeah yeah for for <laughs> submarines at least i used to be i'm i'm probably outdated now just in the just in the sure. last three years i'm sure i'm outdated yeah 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 i bet you know things are things things change so fast in a, a lot of aspects of life <laughs> yeah including <laughs> anti-submarine warfare um so so you joined post 9-11 what what was your was that kind of part of your motivation? Yeah, I I don't want to say that my motivation had anything to do with like you know uh, an obligation to serve my country or patriotism or anything like that. It really was just kind of I wanted to get out of where I was at. I was in a go nowhere job as a cashier, mm. and um, you know I I did a year in college, and uh, you know two thousand eight happened, and um, that kind of wasn't on the table anymore. My my parents took kind of a hit. And, um, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity around, um, you know, for education. Um, Mm. so I, uh, I started looking into kind of plan Z and that was the military and, um, talked to all the different branches. I kind of eschewed the Marines and the army because I knew I didn't, that that wouldn't be a good fit for me, but the national guard, the air force and the Navy were my choices and, I liked, mm. I liked the Navy because the recruiter didn't give a fuck if I joined or not. He was like, look, you can join or you can, you can walk away right now. There's right. 10 people behind you. I'm, I'm going to make my quota. I'm going to get my little uh, piece of flair that says that I met my recruiting quota and, you know, stay if you want or, you know, go away. Right. And I, right. I respected that. So the Navy got their claws in me. I did a year in the delayed entry program because there's just such a backlog after 2008, 2009, there's just a backlog of people that wanted to join and get that job security and get that economic benefit. Right. So I was part of that surge in, uh, in recruitment and, uh, I kind of just rode that wave, um, a lot of people got out after their first four or five year contract. I decided to reenlist. Oh, I, I, I should go into, uh, you know, where I was at. So after I got out of boot camp, I went to school in San Diego to learn how to be a sonar technician mm-hmm. and learn the, learn the specific system of the ship they would eventually send me to. Uh, that ship ended up being a destroyer that was still being built in the shipyard in Mississippi. Oh, okay. So, I got to hang out in San Diego. It was home ported in San Diego. So I got to hang out in a building in San Diego for, I think four or five months, went out, went out on a, like we call it underways, little 
week-long cruises out off the coast of California uh-huh. with other ships that were the same platform as mine. So I could learn their system, learn being on sure. a ship, get seasick, and then, you know, never get seasick again. But, like, basically just bust my cherry. Right, right. So I, I did that a few times and then eventually got flown over to uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, where I was out of a hotel with, with what would be my crew, the first crew of that ship. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, gambling and, uh, drinking and a lot of like formed really good camaraderie because we were all kind of, you know, living it up in a, in a Navy lodge hotel and, uh, you know, get, getting to know each other because we were all stuck. Right. Right. And, uh, the other good thing about it was that I was a 22 year old shithead getting put in charge of, I mean, what I would consider to be pretty important programs like equipment validation, making sure that the contractors putting the ship together are mm. putting in the equipment they're say they say they're putting into and that the, the equipment actually works. Right. right. So I got to go through like all the sea trials, like taking the ship out and uh, testing all the systems, got to test like new missile systems and all that uh, new, huh. new torpedo systems. Um, so that, that I got a lot of exposure padded, padded what, the equivalent of my resume. Right. And, um, yeah. So after that we sailed like, our, I, it's not really a deployment, but we did a, a sail right. around. Sure. So mm. uh, you, yeah, you went through Panama or, or South? Yep. Yep. Went through okay. the ditch, got my, uh, order the ditch certificate, um, hung out in, oh, I forget what fucking city it is in Panama, but, um, Panama oh, city. Shit. No, it wasn't <laughs> Panama City, but uh, I I forget what it was. But got to hang out in Panama, like that was like our first little port stop. Um, besides, mm. uh, when we commissioned the ship in Mobile, Alabama, and um, from Mobile, all right, yeah, I guess from Mobile we we did our sail around and um, hit up Panama, hit up Manzanillo, Mexico, and uh, went to San Diego from there. And uh, that was like kind of our first taste of like life at sea. Mm. Not not a deployment by any means. Sure. But um, yeah, it was yeah a little cruise and uh, yeah no it it was fun and we kind of got into our heads that that was how it's going to be, and then uh, you know, spent the next I think year and a half working up towards our our first deployment. You know, certifying on all of our systems. Every system on the ship had to had to get certified for deployment. And then we did training individually, like just as a ship, and then training in a carrier strike group, and then eventually went out on deployment in 2013 with the uh, Nimitz strike group for uh, Westpac, mm. and um, you know, so fucked around in the uh, Southeast Asia, uh, I think it's uh, Seventh Fleet, and then eventually made our way over to Fifth Fleet in the in the in middle in the Middle East, got to fuck mm. around with the Russians and the Iranians and. I got put on a 50 cal mount, just sitting there with fucking 80 pounds of gear for 12 hours, like looking at the Iranian speedboats and their little frigates that would come out and fuck with us whenever right. we went, whenever we uh, crossed crossed the um or went into the the Persian Gulf, uh, the Straits of Hormuz. They would come mm. out and fuck with us because they didn't like us being there. They got sure. especially angry when we put a carrier there. So that was always fun. And then, uh, yeah, did my first deployment, um, saw two pilots die. They were, they were mm. on a, so we were on a destroyer. We have a flight deck at the very after the ship and uh, oh, yeah, they were, yeah. yep. they were chalked and chained, had rotors spinning 
and we were in the middle of the Red Sea. So um, that's that's an area of operations for Russia, for the Russian Navy as well. So we were right. in a carrier strike group and the, the Russians had, a, a, I think, a couple vessels there that were like trying to get between us and the carrier, trying to like, you know, do like little little buzzes. And um, right. so we were kind of maneuvering around them and uh, the, the helicopter was chalk and chain, rotors were spinning. We were doing like, you know, 30 knots or whatever, which I don't even think we were supposed to be doing that. But we took a huge roll and uh, one of the chains broke. The, car- the helicopter slid off our flight deck and into the ocean. Like the, oh, the rotor broke up into a million pieces. The tail fucking broke off. And uh, there was a there was a medic that was in um in in the helicopter, like tucked and rolled out of there. And mm. uh, amazingly, like the the two pilots, I mean, the, the thing sank instantly, like within seconds. Oh, yeah. it was at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. So those two pilots were done, but uh, mm. amazingly, nobody else got hurt. Like with all the shrapnel flying around, nobody else got hurt. I was on watch right. at the time. I uh, I saw everything. Ha- I I felt the ship roll, like right. Just took a huge roll. And then I was on the comms, like on my headset, and I hear everybody like on these like pretty strict stations, like uh, for our uh, combat sent, like uh, what is it? Cease, um, I, oh shit, I forget the word, but like pretty much like the captain, the captain's on that net, so okay, like it's yeah, very, yeah. it's very proper. You have to use correct verbology and fra- phraseology and all that. Right. And I hear everybody like flip their shit, like. Jesus fucking Christ. Holy shit. And I'm like, you can't say that on the net. <laughs> and I look over at the little closed circuit television we have in the flight deck. And I just see the helicopter go over and I'm like, Oh shit. Oh, so man. we went into a man overboard drill, spent like half an hour. And, um, yeah, that was kind of like my first, you know, and you know, I, compared to other people, like that's, that's my only like brush with death, which is nothing. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm sure you've talked to people that have been like in firefights and shit. I, I had never had to fire my weapon in anger. My my time in the Navy was very boring comparatively. Um, well, in, in the modern Navy, that's probably more common, I would think. I mean, you're there's oh, there yeah. is li- risk to life like that, but it's definitely less than say like, oh, yeah. army or Marines. A lot of yeah, things. like um, I guess another brush brush with death that I had where uh, we, we were doing a uh, underway replenishment where an oiler comes up alongside of our ship. They throw over their fuel lines. We throw right. over our, like our, our lines and um, one of their booms to um, well, one of the oilers booms fucking can't, like broke and like don't got dumped into the ocean. And it was happened to be on the line that I was, that I was usually in charge of, but not that right. day because they were training somebody else. So I was one of the people like heaving, you know, heaving the line over and like right. doing that final heave to get the, get the fucking, the big, the big dick to click into our ship and pump, pump, pump us right. full of fucking fuel. Um, so when that boom fell, basically all of the, all of the lines that were attached to that oil, that, um, uh, what do you call it? That, that fuel probe like went flying into the ocean right right and um, anybody that was holding on yeah anybody right. everybody everybody got pulled forward but like you know it's going it's going through a chalk so like if you were to hold on to that line you would have been like a, a sausage like literally oh like a okay human sausage. i see what you're saying it's, it's going through like a, a chalk right right 
So luckily, everybody let go. Everybody got the fuck out of the way, and it whipped, just whipped out into the ocean. Did an emergency breakaway, which we trained for wow. every single time we refuel. We do right, an emergency right. breakaway. So that was another little brush with death. Uh, everybody was like hopped up on the missile deck and just watching the line go by, and you know, basically ran and hid. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're you're not talking a little rope. You're talking what an inch inch line or something. Uh, shit. Um, I know yeah. numbers. Sorry. So, so it, it draw it goes from like an inch line to what's called a cheater line, which is like a, I want to say like half an inch, like regular oh, okay. old. So okay. like that's, that's the rope that like we start off with cause it's easy to handle. And then you need that, you know, that right. big, strong rope. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like I've purged everything from my brain. I used to all, I, I used to know all of this shit, like all the, all the technical specifications for everything and the words and all that. Right. Right. I, I did. I did get my warfare pin, which <laughs> proves my, my competency and basic knowledge of all ship systems. Right. But that's right. <laughs> yeah. fresh out. Yeah. And then, uh, so other than that, I took the ship on its maiden deployment and, uh, you know, got to, got to have a couple close calls and, um, you know, f- fell down a ladder well, couple couple levels on a ladder well, and busted my my shoulder and neck up pretty good. And um, you know, but other than that, it was pretty uneventful. Um, came back, uh, I knew I was um, I I had the choice as to getting out or staying in, and uh, a lot of that choice was uh was influenced by the fact that I I got a divorce shortly after I got off the mm. point and came back home. Sure. And sure. Like 70% of my ship got divorced. Like the married couples on my ship got divorced. I'd estimate really w- within that time frame, or just period within the, fr- within six months of getting back from deployment. Yeah. Cause really remember wow. how I was talking about, we were the first crew on that ship. There was a lot uh-huh. of camaraderie. Well, we right. I mean, there's men and women on ships now. So it was like, think of a floating high right. school combined yep. with just a giant orgy. Right. Sure. Sure. So, you know, there was a lot of that going on that destroyed a lot of marriages. Um, not mine. Well, not, not on my part. Right. But, uh, right. I, I came back home and, uh, found out that my, my wife at the time had been like having an affair and all that, which is like stereotypical Navy story. Right. Right. So, um, huh. got a pretty expensive divorce and then, uh, decided, well, I can't leave the Navy with like over 25 grand in debt. So I might as well reenlist and take my shore duty. And, right. um, cause the way, right. the way that my, the way that a sonar technicians, uh, like sea shore flow is, is your first tour is five years on a ship. Regardless, it's always going to be five years on a ship unless, you know, you're, you're extra special and they put you somewhere else. But, um, right. and then, and then it's going to be three years on shore. You get your three year shore duty. You work a semi normal oh, job. Okay. So, I opted to uh, extend on the ship for a year and um, get my shore duty, re-enlist and get my shore duty. And uh, I was hoping to uh, go into instructor duty because I've always liked, I've, I've always been intrigued by teaching. and um, Or just bossing people around, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is. Uh, I like I'm a, I'm a nerd at heart. So like I, I went, I went balls deep into like learning my system and like learning the most efficient way to operate it and like the nuts and bolts right. of how to fix it. Sure. And, um, and, uh, I, I, I really felt strongly that, um, 
you know, the, some of the newer people that we were getting from the schoolhouse, like just weren't up to par at all. And it wasn't just me that thought that it was like, it was kind of a known thing Navy wide that, um, just the training, the, the standards at training commands in general were starting to fall. And uh, a lot of that had to do with like brain drain because like everybody that had that real world cold war experience of like, especially for sonar techs, like tracking submarines during the cold war. Right. Like they, like there were people that have had more tracking time than I've been alive. Like, sure. Yep. And now, now those experience. Yeah. They're all retirees and contractors now, but uh, they're starting to retire from that. And uh, there's a, experiencing a lot of brain drain so Hmm. i ended up getting getting a position as an instructor uh teaching the class that i went through after i got out of boot camp on my ship Hmm. specific system Mm -hmm. and i i thoroughly enjoyed it it was great i um i would have done that for the rest of my life if i could but um Hmm. yeah i didn't want to be a contractor because when you're a defense contractor every arbitration period you're either getting a raise, you're getting a pay cut, or you're getting laid off, or you're ha- or you have to work for a different company. That's not, that right. wasn't like the stability and the predictability that I've come that I had come to value. Right, right, yeah, just too much stress and. Yeah, it's just you never know where you're going to be, and that's 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 cool for some people. Like they like the adventure and the, you know, the the excitement. But uh, I I didn't want any more adventure and excitement. Like I mm-hmm. just you know. Uh, especially like, you know, choosing whether I wanted to reenlist again or get out. That was one of the main things is like, I, I'm, I, you couldn't pay me enough to go back on a ship. Mm. Um, one of the things that you mentioned as your question was like, how, how fast did I attain rank um, mm, in the right. Navy, in the Navy E1 through E3, you don't have to take an exam for you get them automatically. Unless you really fuck up, you're automatically promoted. Okay. After a certain period of time. Sure. Um, when you hit E, when you're eligible for E4, you have to take an advancement exam and then, uh, you have to get your evaluation and then, uh, you're kind of at the mercy of like how many people need to be promoted. How many open slots are there for that rank in that job? Sure. Sure. And, um, same with, uh, you know, E4, E5, E6, all going up to E9. That's pretty much how that goes. And uh, I made rank the first time I was eligible for E4 and E5. And then I think I, it took me like two years, but I, I made, I made rank for E6. No, no, it took me three years. I did mm. end up making rank um, off, and off, off the, my last advancement exam in the Navy. Um, so, but I ended up getting out my, my end of active obligation to service date. Uh-huh. Occurred before I would have been like frocked, like I would have been officially administratively taken that rank. Right, right. So technically, I got out as an E five, but I made E six. <laughs> oh, oh. So like all your retirement and everything is based on the E five rank. Yeah, my um, my separation papers all say E five. Right, right, right. Yep. Even though I made E six <laughs> off the advancement right. exam, <laughs> just you, you just don't get anything extra for it. Yeah. You don't right, get anything right. extra for it anyways. It's whatever. I got my GI bill, which I haven't used. And I got like, I, I, I am eligible for like VA claims and all that, but I haven't done it yet. Cause I've just been like, I need to secure my career. And then sure, I, sure. Um, hmm. 
What else? Uh, go ahead. Pick well, my yeah, brain. I, I, I w- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've been rambling for way too long. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean it didn't take long. Too small. Um, <laughs> when I was curious, when that helicopter went over, you, you said it was right in the middle of the Russians, like, playing a little bit of tag or whatever. When that yeah. happened, what was their response? Uh, like they the, actually, the, they actually offered when we went into a man overboard drill. They actually offered to assist us for uh, search and rescue. Okay. Um, so that was nice of them, but uh, we we declined their assistance, and uh, you know, I guess we we you know at the end of the day we had places to be, so we did. I think we spent like an hour doing uh, man overboard. Right. And then yeah. and then it was kind of like all right, time to go. You know what the the, yeah. the creepiest thing? Like I said, I was a sonar mm-hmm. technician. We have this um. I forget the equipment term. I think it's WQC2, but um, it's basically like an underwater microphone. We can hear like it's sure. at the bot the bottom of the ship under the waterline, and we just hear like raw noise. And helicopters have uh like a like a beacon, like a acoustic beacon. Oh, so oh, man. you could hear yeah. that acoustic beacon, and that was like kind of the creepy thing. Yeah, like yep, that's that's the helicopter. We can't fucking do anything, but we can hear it. Right, right, because you've got, I mean, in that carrier group, you've got, I don't know, numbers, what, 10,000 guys, 10,000 people, more than that? Oh, yeah, on a carrier, yeah, I mean. Well, in in the whole group, you've got so many people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think. And dollars, and, I mean, it makes sense that they would drive on. Yeah, we we had places to be. We we originally went there. Actually, uh, we were there because our deployment got extended. So it was originally hmm. supposed to be an eight month deployment and we're like, okay, we'll be back in nine months. But, um, so on our way home, we got word that, um, this was in 2013. So, uh, we got word that, uh, we needed to turn around and go up to the Red Sea and possibly Tomahawk Syria. <laughs> so yeah, no big deal. Um, Just run over, make that happen. Yeah, we were like in the Indian Ocean, like ready, ready to mm. fucking cross the line between Fifth Fleet and Seventh Fleet, and just right. hit a couple ports and be home, like home to Hawaii, and then have like a little family. They could call it a Tiger Cruise back to San Diego. Right. But uh, we ended up getting extended uh, two months, so uh, we were already like pretty pissed and like angry, and then like that whole thing with the pilots happened, and we're like. Oh, that's fucking great. And people are pissed. Mm, like, we didn't even get yeah. to Tomahawk Syria. Like, what the hell? Right, right. <laughs> but, um... Oh, man. Yeah, so it was it, it was kind of a rough... Like, the last few months on that deployment were really rough. Like, personally and professionally for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, <sighs> uh, they, they still call that a plank owner, don't they? Oh yeah, yep. Where you're the you're the first crew on a ship. Yep, I got that that little certificate, um, nice little scroll that they give you. Right. Got the order of the ditch. Got the order of Neptune for crossing the equator. Got to go through the uh, right the crossing the line ceremony. Right. No shillelaghs, well, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm curious. It has in what you've heard of the ceremony, the whole polywog thing. What? How how dumbed down was it when you went through? Um, it was it was surprisingly um, more geared towards the traditional ceremony. Mm, okay. Um, 
you know, we still had to like, uh, fashion our own like knee pads and gloves and stuff. They, um, you know, I, I was still fucking sore at the end of the day and scratched up from the non-skid, um, right. uh, and dirty and smelly and gross. Um, you know, it, it was surprisingly, it was fun, but it was also like, you know, very, very geared towards tradition. We, we had a lot of like 80% of my ship. It was their first tour. So, okay. Sure. Um, we had a lot of like, and then the, the remaining 20% were like all old salty, like first classes and chiefs and stuff. So we're so going like, to show they, them what's for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they made it, they made it good. Yeah, I was actually I was gonna ask what is eighty percent the number of people that had were like you or just fresh out of boot camp? Yeah, yep. Wow, a lot. Is that yep. normal for a new brand new ship? Um, see, I that that you, I don't know. Okay, sure. I know that like you know when you're when you're a brand new ship, your manning is stacked. Like your if if your division needs fifteen people to run, you're gonna have like twenty people because okay. they figure. That like and 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 they they're actually pretty smart about this. They're figuring that like five five of those people are gonna like get pregnant or get arrested or get sick or whatever and can't right. be there. And my <laughs> we we only had one female out of like the eight in my division that uh that made it their entire tour because the rest of them like got pregnant or uh went UA like one of them like did like a Bonnie and Clyde thing where oh, they really. Like, they ran away with a, there was a female that like ran away with somebody from another division and like tried to get a, tried to get a VA loan and like ended up getting like caught by the NCIS and brought back to the ship. It was, it was funny. That happened at uh commissioning. It was, it was pretty funny. That's wild. That's yeah. That's not long to uh, change, change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been in that long and you're like, well, I'm out. They were like starstruck lovers that decided to run away, and then like the bank flagged them <laughs> for like wow. being UA. <laughs> oh man, like just the stories like that are fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then they, we had uh, one kid who he was on. Uh, it's called Brow Watch, and um, he was like checking IDs at a, at this little like you know collapsible table at the at the end of the pier, like or mm-hmm. I should say on the pier, but at, at the end of the ship's brow. So he was off the ship. Okay. But he had like an access list and he was checking like contractors IDs and all that and you know searching bags and all that happy stuff. And then like every every 10 minutes or so he'd move his table like a foot to the right, a foot down the pier towards towards the entryway. <laughs> and then like so he'd move it a little further, move it a little further and then like the the officer of the deck like the chief or the officer or whatever that was standing watch, like just didn't notice. So like after a while, he just booked it down the pier and like got on a bus to the airport and like went to Florida. And <laughs> so th- he ended up getting caught, of course, brought back to the ship and our captain actually sentenced, sentenced him to uh, three days bread and water in the brig. Oh, so wow. like, <laughs> cause it wasn't the first time he'd fucked up. It's the same kid that showed up with like, uh, with like shaved notches in his eyebrows. Uh huh. Like, cause he was, he was an aspiring rap artist, so he needed to look the part <laughs> and, and, uh, our, our master at arms made him shave his eyebrows. <laughs> so <laughs> like, he was just like one of those people that like, just didn't fucking get it. Like couldn't, couldn't play the game. Right. And, uh, he was a, an endless source of entertainment though. <laughs> 
Wow. But, uh, like, just the, just the stupid shit like that. Huh. Yeah, what... Does anybody get away and be successful? Um, I'm like, sure that they do. But, uh, like, it just seems like that'd be so unlikely. I, like, everything you try to do with your social security... Right, like right. You, you end up getting flagged. So, like, yeah. I'm I'm sure there are people that have been successful at it, and I like I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but I'm sure there right. is like a point in time where they just say, ah, fuck it. Um, yeah, well, and they're not going to add the the Navy's not going to advertise their failure to bring somebody back. Yeah, they, but like at the end of the day, you're success. a deserter, and like if they wanted to make an example out of you, they could. I'm right. sure. Right. But like I, I I personally have never heard of that. Hmm. Um, hmm. one of your questions, which is something that I, I, yeah. I would love to talk about is yeah, I, if you were talking to a young person considering joining the military, what advice would you give them? Yeah, that, that is the one question that I make sure to ask everybody. The others are and just kind of general, but yeah, please. What would that's, you... uh, that's something that I, I feel very strongly about and something that I've, uh, maybe some of your listeners have seen, like I advocate strongly for them to look into joining a trade instead usually mm. young people like fresh out of high school um they look at the military as at, at least at least in this region that i live in um they look at the military as like a, a safe means of or or a yeah like a safe means of um providing stability and structure and all that um in as as a way to kind of get them out of this unstable, unstructured existence that they might live in for whatever, for whatever reason. And, um, what I would have to say about that is, um, you know, the military doesn't give you structure. It doesn't give you, um, you know, it it doesn't give you anything that you don't, if you don't have the, the potential to, um, to internalize that structure when you get in, then you're going to have just a hard, just as hard of a time in as as you did out. Like some people, sure. Some people that join that join up just don't have the potential. That like they don't have the potential to be like broken down and then built up in their image. Like you have to right, sure. So my advice would be to um, spend a little time paying rent, working at a job. Maybe get like an assistant manager position at some go nowhere job. Um, experience like being poor, being starving, being broke, like eating ramen. Um, I think, and you know, if after a few years of doing that, you don't have you don't have like an exit plan for that, then maybe the military would be like for me Plan Z that you're kind of you know whether whether you're forced into it or not is debatable, but you know hmm. it's it's an option. And um, the people that the people that have a little bit of life experience that have kind of a, a built up identity um, end up, I, in, in my experience, again, uh, do a hell of a lot better than the people joining fresh out of high school. Mm. Sure. Well, like, for example, that rapper, dude, the aspiring rapper you were talking about, he in civilian life, he probably would have had similar uh, results of his life experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I I don't know where he is. Like, I I would love to see where he is now. He, he might be like the fucking, I don't know. He he might be on, you know, yo MTV raps now, whatever the equivalent is. (laughs) But, uh, I, I, I doubt it. 
Like he just, he didn't have the potential going in and he didn't have, and he just didn't have the, uh, the ability to kind of just, even if you don't buy into it, which I really didn't, I, at least I played the game and that's, that's Mm. a lot of people, especially, you know, the, the higher ASFAB, but not like higher ASFAB score rates or jobs or MOSs, but Mm -hmm. not, but not like, you know, genius level nuclear, you know, nuclear electric electricians made or whatever, you know, where you have to score like fucking right. a nine, above a 90 on your ass fab and then like take a bunch of other tests like aptitude tests. Um, that kind of, I guess, uh, midwit, <laughs> the, the midwit cross section of the military. Right. right. Um, they're more you're, prone you're to like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of more, they're less prone to, um, making, making the military their entire identity and like more prone to like being actual human beings. <laughs> right. 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 Huh. You, you mentioned the, uh, the camaraderie of or when you were all in the hotel and everything, how that really built camaraderie, how, mm-hmm. um, how much do you think that obviously you only had the one experience, but how much, how much did you think that benefited your, your cruise time, your deployment and everything. And then also when you went to shore leave, um, I assume you weren't with the same group of people. What was the difference there in, in the level of camaraderie? So I was one of the people that I was one of the last of the plank owners to like cycle off that ship. So I got Mm, to experience like that crew, that, that camaraderie and that closeness. And then like slowly replacements started coming in as people cycled out to go to go to other commands or get out of the Navy or whatever. Right. And, um, it was, it was a double edged sword because, you know, we all, we all worked very well together. We were effective in some ways, but there was definitely kind of this, uh, nebulous, um, chain of command that, Mm. you know, because everybody's fucking each other, like, you know, some of the, some of the, the, the command, like the chain of command decisions and structures were kind of tainted by that, by that camaraderie, you know? Right. Right. Like the fraternization. You, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, when in, when an entire department gets caught, like at a, at a, you know, a, a massage parlor slash brothel and it gets swept under the rug, like that kind of sets the tone for right. the next couple of years. Like, okay. You know, we know a lot of other shit. With. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, it kind of manifested itself in a lot of bad ways, but particularly when a department head got caught uh, with child porn on his Department of Defense mm-hmm. laptop. Oh wow! And then, upon further investigation, it turned out that he was, you know, molesting that he had right. molested kids. Right. And um, you know, I I don't know the details of that case, but I'm sure. I am sure that people knew something about it, but because of that camaraderie, because of, you know, sure. they, they maybe didn't want to say anything or maybe didn't want to act on their suspicions or whatever. So, right. you know, that's, uh, that's hmm. kind of the double edged sword of it. Yeah. When you, uh, when you went to shore, was it, uh, if there was less of that camaraderie, was it more, a more structured, properly structured command structure 
It was, uh, yeah, definitely. Like the, it was definitely more fleshed out. Like this is your chief. This is your first class. Like these, these are your, these are your supervisors. And then like, here is your, here is your role. Like you are an instructor Mm. and then here's your collateral duties. If you want them to look good. Um, but again, like I, I knew a couple people from my old ship, so that was cool. Um, and then Mm. like, because it's shore duty, it's a lot more relaxed. Like you're, you're basically working a nine to five job. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're there to kind of like reconnect, you know, maybe, maybe do some, maybe catch up on like your personal goals. Like that's a time that you get married, have kids and all that, because, you right. know, you're not, you're not going to be like, you're not going to get a call at midnight being like, Hey, uh, we're going out to sea for like right. two months. Right. <laughs> um, so like it, it, it was, it was definitely still the military. But, um, you know, it was a lot more uh, like, this is your job, like, get what you need done and go home. Hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of what I wanted, because I, 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 I kind of needed that. Um, and everybody does. When you spend five years going at 100 miles an hour all the time, mm-hmm. um, it's good to kind of still retain, like, your, your paying benefits that are very generous. Right only like working a job that, uh, you know, you can, you can come home and not, not take, not take home with you. Right. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you were a sonar dude, but then you mentioned, um, for the refueling portion, you were often in charge of one of the aspects. How many, how many different, like obviously sonar was your primary responsibility. How many other collateral duties? Yeah. Yeah. Through the course of a cruise. I, I, I had a lot. Um, and, and everybody kind of has a lot. You kind of get either assigned them or you volunteer for them. Sure. So yeah, I was, uh, it's called a line POIC line petty officer in charge. So I'd be calling out like, you know, slack or, or heave or whatever. Um, uh, again, I forget, but I was, uh, I, uh, and then, uh, I was repair parts, petty officer. So I, I would order like all of our uh, tools, parts, and materials. Do like work orders and account for man mm-hmm. hours and all that. I was uh, um, oh damage control petty officer, so all the life safety systems. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I was in charge of like my respective division for that. I spent a long time doing that, and that's the collateral duty that I actually like got a lot of marketable skills from, and ended up where I am right now sure. as a facilities sure. manager. Um, that kind of helped me out a lot because I, I got that good supervisory experience as well as the technical knowledge that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten if I had just stayed like a regular old sonar tech. Right. Right. Um, huh. and then, yeah, I, I, I had a ton of collateral duties. I was a uh, div- departmental security assistant, like in charge of like, uh, classified material storage, uh, access to spaces, um, all that shit when I was on shore duty. And that was, that was actually extremely stressful because we had inventories and audits and all that for Mm. like classified material, you know, hard drives and student, even student notebooks, like everything had to be like hermetically sealed because it was, you know, secret. It was all secret. Right. Like notes you took or whatever. Yeah. Like capabilities and limitations of like ships and weapon systems and all that. So. Oh, Oh, okay. So like, right you know, students didn't get homework. And if they were caught with their notebook outside of the schoolhouse, then like, you know, they, they'd possibly go to jail. <laughs> right. Right. Um, huh, yeah. Like, interesting. 
so there was i i don't want to say that like i didn't get any like useful skills or marketable skills out of my time in but knowing what i know now i definitely would have went to trade school like i would have went to uh Mm. you know the the college down the street from me mass maritime right uh you know got like a degree in like uh facilities engineering or or marine engineering or whatever and gone at it from that from that way Mm -hmm. but Mm. i always i always tout like especially for younger people that maybe don't know what they want to do like forget the military forget you know your go nowhere job get into an apprenticeship get into a trade like do your time in the shit because right. every like everybody has to do their time in the shit. I did fucking five years in the shit, at, at least in in the navy, and then mm-hmm. only then was I allowed to like kind of okay be like that middle management type. Right. And then I was still in the shit, but right, uh, right. <laughs> um, and then From getting both out, directions though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Getting shit on and then shitting on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then kind of went and then when I got out and I decided that I wanted to choose a different career path not related to sonar. I still had to do my time in the shit until I could be, you know, that, that middle management type, but right. it was, it was profoundly protracted. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've been out for three years. I went from like, you know, facilities technician turning wrenches and now I'm facilities manager for, you know, a real estate development company. Right. Sure. And, um, so for all, for all you vets, like it's, you're part of it's being lucky and just landing the right job. Part of it's interviewing, being able to interview well. And then a lot of it's just, uh, you know, finding your niche, but that niche is almost always restricted to something to do with trades. Mm, Okay. Sure. At least again, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that does make sense. based on a lot of what the Navy does and, and the experiences you get, or you, just really any military branch. Yeah. It makes sense that a, a, a good, a common, a high percentage crossover would be the trades. Yeah. Yep. So. And whether it's, uh, whether you're still turning wrenches or you're in more of a management role, like they need people badly. And it's not like this. It's, it's, it's not like a uh, fake spreadsheet email job. It's like you're, you're in the field. Right. Right, and you're producing something. You get you get a lot of hands on. Absolutely, hmm. because there's no shortage of fake spreadsheet email jobs. <laughs> I mean, anybody can get one. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, if if you want like the most security, maybe not maybe not the best working conditions. You're gonna come home sore. You're gonna come home tired and angry. But you'll be able to pay your bills, and you'll be able to um, advance. That's hmm. that's at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. And Mm -hmm. again, I can't stress enough. Like if, if you're wondering what to do with your life, get into a trade. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Even if you do go on to something else, like you moved on, um, Mm -hmm. from turning wrenches, even if you went to something totally different to have that basis of knowledge, um, and just life experience is going to improve you for sure. Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm still turning wrenches. Like part of my job is to, you know, maintain or add value to my, my company's real estate portfolio. And some of the ways I do that is to do jobs that, you know, don't have to be contracted out. Like I was just demoing out a block wall the other day, swinging a sledgehammer. Right. Um, Right. Taking out some of that stress. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm fucking sore, but (laughs) 
because I've been, <laughs> I've been I've been getting fat and happy in my in my right. computer role. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but uh, you know, things like that. Um, you know, there's there's jobs out there that the the opportunity for advancement is insane right now because mm-hmm. everything's yeah everything's so fucked up with the economy that like. I'm taking advantage right. of, of all this malinvestment. <laughs> right, right. All this easy credit and malinvestment. Like, not for me, but for like people a lot richer than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, one thing you mentioned um, about how when a lot of vets get out, um, they have they just have a lot of questions. They want to talk to other vets about stuff. Can, can you touch on that and then why why you think that is or, or so, maybe your experience with it? My experience with my transition out was actually very positive. Um, I, I started getting into that mindset like probably a year and a half ahead of time when I knew for a fact that I wasn't reenlisting. I let my chain of command know so that they could kind of structure their, uh, you know, their, right. their rankings and their uh, evaluations around it. Um, my, my chief at the time still ended up giving me, recommending me for early promotion which he can only do that for like a certain amount of people. And the way that he Mm. described it was, um, you know, I, I want you to take the advancement exam and to take up that spot because then the standard, like if you're taking up a spot, then that last person that just barely squeaks by is just that much better. Right. Right. I see what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of, that, that kind of blew my mind, but I, I, I get it now. And, um, so there was that aspect of it where I was still kind of, you know, I couldn't be a hundred percent checked out. Like, you know, when, when you're, it's your last week on the job and you're like, ah, fuck it. I just have to make sure shit doesn't burn down. Um, I I didn't really get the luxury of that because nobody, a, no, a, like I still, I still genuinely cared about like putting a good product into the fleet, um, from, from my classes and, uh, also, I had, like I said, I had those collaterals where I was inventorying and getting audited and all that stuff with that, with the secret material. So I had to do my job ride, you know, get arrested. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a know, motivator for you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and handing that over to somebody else, believe it or not, was very difficult. <laughs> so, right. Like any candidate that would take over that duty. Like was like, ooh, sorry, I already got this going on. Or like, ooh, I heard this guy is eligible for it. Maybe, maybe you should talk to him. Like, you know, it was it was tough finding somebody to do it, and kind of got compressed into like the like literally the last couple of days I was in. I was like, mm. we need to fucking do this. Like, buddy, you're getting it. <laughs> right, right. Um. So there's that aspect of it, but um, overall. Very, very positive experience. I went through this uh, transition assistance program mm-hmm. that um, uh, they, they kind of, they did a lot of general stuff that you need to think about, like, uh, um, and then they kind of broke it down into what your career path, what, what you'd like your career path to be more uh, specific mm-hmm. stuff. So um, that was, that was extremely helpful. They gave you a free free year of LinkedIn premium and as, as gay as mm. LinkedIn is, it actually, it helped me get like two jobs so far. Right. Right. Um, Cause it, it like, it is literally all about networking. Like right. I, I know it's, it's a stupid cliche trope, but no matter what, 
no matter what industry you're in, like you're there to add value to either your employer or to yourself. And um, right. networking is the best way to do that. Getting to know people in that industry, getting like a mentor type figure to pick mm. their brain on things. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, I, I can't recommend that enough. It's, it's been invaluable to me. I, it, both, both from my time in the Navy, people that, that mentored me while I was in that I still talk to to this day, as mm. well as people in the industry that I've worked, you know, I'm, I'm on my third job in three years now. Um, but I've never burnt down a bridge. I've, I've always, I'm always still right. talking to my old bosses, my old coworkers and, and trying to help myself by picking their brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's, that's another aspect of, of transition that I, I can't promote enough is networking. Hmm. Man, people are going to be listening to this and being like, what the fuck, man? You're being so serious when you're going to drop an N-bomb. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry, all right? It's something I feel passionate about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, I think for most civilians, it's very logical to understand that if somebody, say, joined the Army and went over to Iraq or Afghanistan and shot people and had friends die and then came back. It's yeah. very understandable that they would be like, Oh man, I just gotta, I gotta think about this or, or as they get out, just really question a lot of things. Oh yeah. Like, but, but that's not, that's not the entirety of vets that get out and, and have, no, questions. That's, it's, it's a very small portion. Yeah. It's a small, like I forget what the statistics are, but like a very small portion of active duty is, is actually like has actually like been engaged in combat you know mm, the vast right. majority are like like me like saw some shit but like at the end of the day like i don't have ptsd um, right right you know i never had to fire my weapon in anger oh, hang um, on hang on just a sec i gotta pause this sorry i forget what you're saying oh uh, uh, after that administrative pause yeah yeah um yeah, I, I never had to fire my weapon in anger or anything like that. Right. So, like, it, it's, you know, for for the, for my my cross section of veterans, I, mm. at least for me, I had like kind of this imposter syndrome whenever I was talking about, you know, going for like a VA claim and trying to get disability percent, like a percentage of oh, disability right. pay. It's like sure. I had that 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 imposter syndrome, like. You know, right. there, there are people that have like lost limbs that have like completely broken brains, people that I pass, pass by on the street every day when I go into work in the city, like living under highway bridges and shit that, you know, do I really need like hmm. fucking, you know, do I really deserve like 30% disability when, you know, there's, when they're, when those people exist, it's, it's right. like an internal moral conversation that I had to have with myself. Sure. And, um. Or even, or even somebody that's not on the side of the road, they're totally successful, but they're in a wheelchair because they, they lost both their legs. Yeah, exactly. And then you see them and yeah. And, and like you say, you just feel like, well, who am I? Yeah. I like, just, I just pulled on ropes and ran a sonar yeah. know, or something. Like I, hmm. you know, I, and then coming from like our kind of ideological or whatever community of, right. uh, you know, bottom right 
libertarian anarchist, uh, you know, right, right, writer wing people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you get kind of that jadedness of like, you know, when people like, oh, thank you for your service and all that. Hmm. Um, you know, that's that's something else I kind of had to I, I have to struggle to not be like, yeah, you know, I was a glorified babysitter, but hey, you're welcome. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So like huh. there, there's that aspect to it, too. Like, you know, I, I think kind of the reason why you, you know me is because I'm in kind of that sphere of you know, bottom right wing, um, you know, that, that kind of Twitter crew. Yeah. Um, you know, but before, even though I I am actually a Marxist Leninist, of course. Um, but even as a Marxist Leninist, it's like, you know, I, I, I serve the regime and, uh, I, uh, I, I don't have any bullet holes or scars to, to complain about, but, uh, I definitely, didn't feel right about the majority of what I was doing. It was either just a, you know, PTSD from incompetence maybe, but like that's about it. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That's one thing that I've heard a bit is, is struggling with how to respond to somebody that says, thank you for your service. Yeah. From, from a civilian standpoint, it, it's definitely, it kind of makes sense especially depending on why they're saying it, but well, they're, they're, what I find is people are programmed into it. They're like, once you mention, or they find out that, that you are a veteran, like that's like their uh, Pavlovian response It's like, Oh, thank you for your service. And it doesn't mean anything. They're just being polite or whatever, but that's, that's the programming. Right. And uh, I don't think it's, it's bad or good. It just, uh, it, it is what it is. And you know, I, Oh yeah, you're welcome. I, I'm not trying to like argue with anybody. Sure. Sure. But, uh, hmm. you know, if, if, if they do want to get into it, like, oh, so like, you know, what, what did you do? Where, where were you at? Like, like we're doing right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I have no problem being like, you know, I served, uh, the, the stock portfolio, of, you know, your, your, your 401k, if you have Raytheon or Lockheed, I probably, I, that's, that's what you should be thanking me for. I, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I helped raise your fucking 401k by 0.000025%. Huh. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that like while I was in and I was, you know, reading Ron Paul and Murray Rothbard and all that, um, that definitely spoke to me whenever they talked about like the, the war on te- or the military industrial complex or the war on terror or war in general. Um, I could, I guess I had that proclivity to see kind of what they were talking about because I had, because I also had that kind of in- instinctual um, subconscious feeling that, you know, something like what I'm doing maybe isn't the ideal patriotic um, mm, thing expression. that I was sold on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, me hmm. expressing my patriotism and love for country. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I think it is true, uh, regardless of your, you know, your viewpoint on stuff. I think it is true that um, patriotism, what, uh, there's a saying that phrases it much better, but essentially patriotism is not one solitary act. It's, it's a, I think the fra- the saying is it's a lifetime of devoted service. Or, it, or at least a, it's a 
a way of living as opposed to, you know, a, a year of your life or a, or a heroic action you did. Yeah. I think yep. there's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember it either. Um, yeah. Some, some person said that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's funny because I like, I was, I've always been a little bit skeptical of anything that, that I'm being sold on. And uh, it's, mm. you know, it's ironic that I fucking walked into a recruiting station, but uh, there's a gift for if you didn't look in the mouth. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't afford to. Right. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I, I definitely felt like I was sold a bad bill of goods as far as the big picture goes. Um, I don't feel like I contributed really any type of tangible service to my, my country or my community. I, you know, I, I was there to ensure that the that the oil and the and the trade trade goods flowed in all the mm-hmm. major shipping lanes, and um, you know, also my my microscopic cog in the machine of American hegemony, and uh, I don't think you know I'm pretty comfortable arguing with that with anybody, um, but you have to take the side of you have to look like an asshole doing it, so I, I try to kind of avoid that in in meat space. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you've probably kind of danced around the subject, but in terms of like civilian perceptions of the military, what would you say that that you've observed? What would you say is the most accurate and the least accurate? Um, the most accurate, I would say, would have to be um, our ability to, and and this is coming from like a. Perf- from like a professional side, I guess mm. our ability mm-hmm. to function as parts, as a uh, independent parts of a, of a team working towards a goal, I would say by and large, we're, we're capable of doing that um, more so than say your average college graduate. Um, mm. Our ability to kind of fill in a role and like take direction and, um, and like work towards a common goal just in general um, Hmm. is like, that's a perception, like a professional perception that a lot of hiring managers and all that kind of feel like the military exhibits. And uh, I I would say that's fairly accurate Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. as far as like the most unreasonable um, traits that are often assigned to, veterans or the military in general um is and and actually this is something that's kind of being found out that i've seen kind of being found out by and large as well is that we're not always a guaranteed good hire um oh sure right we're uh we're we're like any other demographic it's it's hit and miss we have this mythos that um you know we're professional we're we're on time we show up we and we don't look like a bag of ass and we're capable of being, you know, professional and elegant or eloquent. Mm-hmm. And, um, that too. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, like that, that's kind of being, um, I, I like in private conversations with, you know, ma- management, um, that's kind of being, it, it's becoming more like, well, it's hit and miss. And mm, that's sure. And I, I think that's kind of a generational thing. Like the last couple generations of people that, are in the military. Um, now that it's now that the military is kind of like an extension of the, of an HR department. Um, I think you're going to see a drop 
a drop in quality of uh, like job candidates for that particular demographic. Yeah, that that's what I was gonna say. Is just the that makes sense because the the nature of the military is changing. Absolutely, based it's, on like I said, it's it. it's gonna be an. Ex- it used to be like a cross section of society. Um, you know, you get a little bit of everybody, and it was you know that that ideal diversity that you know everybody pretends to uh, want to personify. But mm. um, now it's 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 an extension of the HR department, and um, you know it's you know I hate to be like a to say the boomer trope, but it's not it's not so much diversity of opinion anymore, or diversity of thought. It's just diversity for the sake of diversity. Mm, and um, sure. it will it will be crammed down your throat and uh yeah hmm. and that's that's another big reason why i got out is because you know it, i've had people that served in like the 90s that saw that shit coming and ended up getting out right and like, preemptively or just yeah. that okay no yeah. like like they it's like they they did their twenty years, but like okay, sure. You know, instead of doing like an extra five to add points to their pension, they they were like, nah, it's not even worth it. Right, right. And uh, it really started with like you know the big push to integrate women on the ship. That was like the mm. the first level of egalitarianism, and then uh, it just kind of went from there. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And it you know after the Cold War, it's like you know we didn't we didn't have an enemy to fight for a while. So we turned inward and, you know, sexism, racism and right. whatever. And it's like that today, too. Uh, we don't have like this, you know, a mythological or psychological enemy to fight um, other than like a virus or whatever. So now hmm. we have to fight. We have to turn inward. Right. Right. And the military is purging, you know, a lot of people that they view as threats to threats to diversity and threats to egalitarianism and. You know, that's the army Hmm. just, I think the army just kicked out or is kicking out anybody that's unvaccinated. Um, Mm, Sure. And like, now we're looking at like Russia's the next big, big threat. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Right, right. (laughs) We'll see how the two mesh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we... We haven't really faced a, a traditional. The, the military, not we. The military hasn't really faced a traditional enemy in a long time. It's been like you know terrorism or, or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, like the conventional. We haven't had a conventional enemy since you know the Cold War. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's now that the war on terror is kind of winding down because. I don't even think it's because of public opinion. I think they would have kept it going for as long as they could, but I think it's actually like, you know, economic, you know, we, we can't mm. fucking pay for it anymore. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think like going back to your question, I think they, uh, the biggest misconception is that we're like a sure thing when it comes to, you know, being good coworkers, being good employees. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just like everybody else. We're hit and miss. Right. Sure. Well, yeah, because in the military, whatever level of professionalism and everything is maintained is partly because if you don't, there's consequences. Yeah. If you don't yep. measure up. where And then when you get out in civilian life, some people maintain that, but then there's some that it's like, well, if I don't show up to work, you know, I might get fired and that's it or something. Yeah. Like, 
the the minimum standards for what constitutes an effective team in the military are getting lowered and lower and lower. Um, Mm. You can see it with like them making their physical tests easier, um, lowering their standards for promotions, um, expanding, you know, it's, 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 that's the nature of egalitarianism. You, by definition, by expanding access, you have to lower your standards. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that is what it is. And, uh, and, as you go throughout time, unless, you know, there's a right wing takeover, the military industrial complex, um, those standards are only going to get lower and lower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. You got anything, if, if anybody, uh, likes the sound of your voice for some odd reason or, or wants to <laughs> hear more of your opinions, uh, you got yeah. any, where can they find you? So you can find me on uh, the Timeline Earth podcast with my co-host Bird and Carr. Um, you can find me on Twitter at PunishedBTWA. Um, I haven't been putting out much con- content because in Meat Space, I'm going through a lot of tumultuous career progression. Right. Um, I just started, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I just started a new job where I kind of skipped five rungs in the ladder and... Uh, now I'm kind of self-employed and I make my own hours, but you know, I, those hours happen to be, you know, 13, 14 hours a day. Right. So, right. By, by necessity. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm hoping to put out some new content soon and um, hope you'll, hope you'll join me. On this, on this trip through the line. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> through the linear earth. <laughs> Along through. Hmm, maybe along, <laughs> along the line. But not across. Yeah, see you later down the line. <laughs> yes. And uh, oh. thank you very much for having me on and letting me spew my, my thought vomit. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's uh, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it, for sure. It's not just the, the casual, uh, now I'm messing up. Um, it, it just, I, there's a lot of value in um, having a vet be willing to talk and, and just come on this random tiny show and um, share their experiences. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm all about it. And uh, my DMS are always open for you and for your listeners and for anybody else. Um, I'm still, you know, I I still log on to Twitter and look at the timeline and be like, well, things still suck. And then, you know, (laughs) go off, go off to what I need to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yep cool well thanks i appreciate it yeah no problem uh, man. any last thoughts or or anything or yeah so actually yeah it's something i I wanted to say this little trope i wanted to put out um yeah whenever you're like whether you're employed in your dream job or a stepping stone um one of the things that i've noticed is particularly with our generation of like millennials um always seek feedback and be careful when you're only ever getting validation. That's, that's another thing I've noticed. And I think it has Mm. something to do with my veteran status, like civilians kind of, um, uh, wondering how to, how to interact with a veteran is constant, like validation and, you know, pats on the ass and stuff. And, uh, that's not something that we get in the military. That's, that's something I had to get Mm. used to. Um, 
when when you're when you enter into the civilian world and the workforce and all that is uh you know be careful that make make your supervisors your your managers whatever your customers even like make them give you feedback because if you're only ever getting validation you're not going to grow and you're not going to advance hmm yeah that's that's true without without uh stress stress creates growth yeah yep you need sometimes hmm. you need to be told hey man this is what you can be doing better this is what you're fucking up at and then these are the things you're good at that's mm-hmm. kind of like how how an evaluation goes um you know your three strengths your three areas of improvement your three goals like hmm. that's that's textbook like pre pre-meeting to discuss your evaluation right right <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's something that I carried with me and I found to be extremely valuable. Just having that mindset of, no, I want feedback. I don't want to be told that I'm doing great and like, you know, get my pat on the ass and sent along my way. So that's what I'll leave you with. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the Suck. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. like that joe rogan video with him just saying the n-word all the time (laughs) except for me it'll be completely within context